Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six to seven figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Ballou, and we have got another exciting thought leader nugget for you. This is thought leader nugget number 49, and it is an excerpt from my best-selling book, The Power of Connecting, How to Activate Profitable Relationships by Serving Your Network. And we're going to talk today about how we got to where we're at in our world today when it comes to connecting. Well, we live in a time when technology is everywhere. It's omnipresent in all areas of our lives. And we've been told that this is wonderful. And it's improving the scope and quality of our interactions and our communications. Big tech has spent a fortune propagandizing this message. Problem is that it's not entirely true. The COVID-19 Wuhan virus of 2020-2021 brought the nuances of this viewpoint into sharp relief. On the one hand, the shelter-in-place and lockdown orders that forced us to be cut off from one another physically were ameliorated by being able to connect through social media and online video platforms like Zoom and WebEx. But on the other hand, these are no replacement for real-life human contact. And they added to the feeling of loneliness and alienation that so many have been experiencing even before the pandemic hit. And they added millions of new people to the roles of the alienated, the isolated, and the alone. So Charles Ashworth, a writer for Forbes.com, said it very well in his August 2019 article, Are We Losing the Human Connection? I quote from the article, technology only exists because humans created it. This makes us, the humans, the most imperative piece of the digital puzzle. Without us fostering the technology we've created, we risk losing touch with the entire reason we created it to begin with, which is to improve how we communicate and connect with each other. Now, let me be clear, says Ashworth. Technology has absolutely been instrumental in shifting our world to become what it is today. Because of technology, we're able to get tasks done way more quickly, get in touch with friends and coworkers across the globe with the touch of a button and seem more connected to the world around us. But how connected are we really? Over the last 20 years, We've all contributed to what Ashworth calls the normalization of digital consumption. What does that mean exactly? It means that the fantastic innovations of technology have made it possible for us to connect with people remotely and have access to an endless stream of information. It's like drinking from the world's largest high-pressure fire hose. Does this continual access to information and other people digitally promote human connection? Well, Ashworth's answer is not exactly. 
He argues that the ease with which technology connects us with notifications and updates about any and all members of our network actually has made us less likely to connect via a real conversation or in-person meeting. During the pandemic, this problem was exacerbated because in-person meetings were expressly forbidden, at the very least, strongly discouraged. Among millennials and even many Gen Gen Xers, there's a growing trend to replace actual conversations with texts. Many of these folks have voicemail greetings that says, don't leave a voicemail. Text me because I won't be checking my voicemail. Oh my God. And during the pandemic, my sons would text me from their bedrooms rather than talk to me. I mean, think about how crazy that is. And it's indisputably true that technologies revolutionized life and business in oh so many positive ways. And true human connection can and does easily get lost in all of this noise. Just easily. And Ashworth notes that it's critical to remember while we discuss the role of technology in both fostering and hindering human connection, the amount of time we spend consuming content and interacting with others digitally is crazy. According to a 2018 Nielsen report, American adults spend over 11 hours per day listening to, watching, reading, or generally interacting with social media. That's two-thirds of most people's waking hours each day spent online. Think about that. And let's not kid ourselves. Contact via technology does not deliver that personal interaction that we as humans crave from the deepest part of our soul. Ashworth goes on to say that human connection is an innate need to create a social rapport with others. Given the complexity of human communication, both verbally and non-verbally, it's nearly impossible to have an online recreation of the kind of social rapport we get offline, also known as real life. This isn't to say that technology has completely eradicated our ability to connect. It's only that the way we connect digitally is different than the way we connect analogly. Our mental health requires us to have a true analog connection with other human beings, or as Ashworth puts it, intimate conversations with eye contact and touch and an empathetic heart in the presence of others and open ears when asking someone about their well-being both in and out of their professional lives. Digital connection should never be an alternative to the natural interactions of human beings. I couldn't agree more. I believe very strongly that human interaction that good old in-person, or at the very least over the phone, connection is so much more rewarding than digital connection ever could be. Mark Bowden, a good friend of mine, who's also one of the world's leading thought leaders in the area of human connection through body language, shared his thoughts on this with me in two separate hour-long interviews on my podcast. He believes that we can get a much better feel for the other person's voice tone, mannerisms, emotions, and feelings face-to-face than we ever can from behind the screen. For many people, especially those born after 1980, it's very uncomfortable to sit down across the table from someone and make eye contact. Because let's face it, for them, that's just not the world that they grew up in. Increasingly, 
Our world is a digital one dominated by social media, emails, laptop screens, mobile devices, and instant messaging platforms infiltrating every nook and cranny of our daily lives. We jump from Facebook to Instagram to WhatsApp and YouTube, hoping for real, authentic human connection. And all they do is give us a quick dopamine hit, followed by an addict's crash. Many technology platforms have been designed to hit the same satisfaction centers in the brain as drug, tobacco, or alcohol addiction. We believe that technology should complement and enable human interaction, not replace it entirely. Is it possible for us to use technology to create an authentic, real, and fulfilling online connection for humanity? The answer is yes, but only if we embrace the truth that it's people that make the technology and use it to uplift humanity, and not technology that is intrinsically valuable in and of itself. If we do that, and we put people at the center of technology like social media, virtual reality, and artificial intelligence, then we can enhance the human condition and not diminish it. We're at a crossroads in history. Ashworth says that we're living in two worlds, the physical and the digital. Both worlds allow us to interact with others, but one is innately more fulfilling than the other. It's important for us to remember which one fosters true human connection and which one tricks us into thinking we're connecting when in reality we're simply scrolling through our feeds and taking in information. In the post-pandemic world, it's super important to remember that true human connection doesn't come from a screen. Ashworth said it best when he said it comes from looking someone in the eye and soaking it all in. Their tone of voice, facial expressions, humor, body language, and the overall warmth of humans that cold black screens simply cannot recreate. It's a far bigger problem than you ever realized. Using your devices while socializing takes a significant toll on your relationships. Have you ever been out for dinner and shaking your head at a family across the room where everyone's huddled over their phones in silence instead of talking to each other? Or have you seen a couple interrupt their romantic dinner to check their smartphones by candlelight? Or maybe it was you that did that. (laughs) Because I know I've been that guy and my family's been that family. The technology companies have designed their phones and their apps that run on them in a way to make them irresistible. There's studies that show they're designed to be addictive like cocaine and heroin. A pair of studies led by Ryan Dwyer of the University of British Columbia in 2018 on how digital distraction is affecting relationships led him to conclude that, quote, people who were allowed to use their phones during dinner had more trouble staying present in the moment. Decades of research on happiness tell us that engaging positively with others is crucial for our well-being. Modern technology may be wonderful, but it can easily sidetrack us and take us away from the special moments we have with friends and family in person. Dwyer's first study was a field experiment in a restaurant which included more than 300 adults and university students from Vancouver, British Columbia. Participants were either asked to keep their phones on the table with the ringer or vibrator on, vibration on, excuse me, vibrator's a whole different thing, or to put their phones on silent and place them in a container on the table during the meal. That was a Freudian slip on my part, eh? God. All right, after eating, the participants filled out a questionnaire detailing their feelings of social connectedness, enjoyment, distraction, and boredom, as well as the amount of phone use and what they did on their phones during the meal. 
The researchers found that the people who had their phones easily accessible during the experiment not only used them more than those with their phones put away, but they also reported feeling more distracted and enjoyed the experience less. The second study included more than 120 participants from the University of Virginia. Participants were surveyed five times a day for a week and asked to report on how they were feeling and what they had been doing in the 15 minutes prior to completing the survey. Results showed that people reported feeling more distracted during face-to-face interactions if they had used their smartphone compared with face-to-face interactions where they would not use their smartphones. The students also said they felt less enjoyment and interest in their interaction if they had been on their phone. Dwyer's colleague and co-author, Dr. Elizabeth Dunn, said the survey findings were especially notable because of the negative effects of phone use among university students. We assume that this generation would be more adept at multitasking between their phones and interacting with others, but we found out that even moderate levels of phone use undermine the benefits of engaging with others. This confirms what we've both believed for a long time. And by both, I mean me, myself, and I. The multitasking is effectively a myth. It can't be done. You need to be present with people and not attempting to split your focus between them and your devices. A 2012 study from the University of Essex in the UK indicated that merely having a mobile phone visible in the room, even if no one checked it, made people less likely to develop a sense of intimacy and empathetic understanding during a meaningful conversation. This means that the mere presence of the device made connecting with others more difficult and less fulfilling. Interestingly, the researchers suggested that the experiment participants did not necessarily consciously notice the effects of the phone. Now, that's insane. 54% of the so-called digital natives, i.e. people who were born in the age of the internet, agree with the statement, I prefer texting people rather than talking to them. That is a huge and scary statistic. But ironically, even tech-savvy teens don't like their companions or their parents to check Facebook, Instagram, or some other phone app during an in-person conversation. My 16-year-old and 14-year-old sons complain when I'm having dinner with them and I check my phone. They quite rightly accuse me of hypocrisy. Now, we're used to hearing parents complain about their tech-addicted teens, and hey, I've been one of those parents. But teens are also frustrated with their tech-dependent parents. According to a Common Sense Media study, 28% of teens say their parents are addicted to their mobile device, and 21% wish their parents would spend less time glued to their phones or other devices. These are some seriously sobering stats. 45% of teenagers reported feeling annoyed when their friends get distracted by technology while they're spending time together. And yet 44% admit to allowing social media to divert their attention from in-person interactions, proving that hypocrisy is not limited to adults. A Cambridge study survey asked Americans, do you ever feel that you or your family would benefit from having technology-free time where all communication devices are switched off? 12% said all the time, 12%, another 12% said regularly, And 36% said from time to time that 60% of respondents who believe that unplugging is at least somewhat beneficial. This is an encouraging stat, and God knows when we need some encouraging stats in this area. A recent British study says that on average, we pick up our devices every 12 minutes. That's over 80 times a day. 
A study commissioned by Nokia puts that number to shame, saying that we check our devices 150 times a day. We touch our phones 2,617 times a day, and heavy users do it 5,813 times a day. We send an average of 110 texts per day, and this number is climbing all the time. Kids under the age of eight are spending two hours and 51 minutes a day on their digital devices. 46% of people admit that they could not live without their smartphone. Could not live without their smartphone. That's insane. And I suspect that the actual number is at least double that. I think it's like over 90%. Now, we know how addictive the algorithms are designed to be. Bad Facebook, bad YouTube. But we also know what clickbait is, mainly because we regularly fall for it. It's like a free sample of an addictive substance designed to hook your attention. Stanford University published a study in 2009, which concluded, as we did, that multitasking is a myth, and that in practice, those who juggle online and offline tasks are what authors call suckers for irrelevancy. The authors of the study called suckers for relevancy because everything distracts them. The human brain cannot cope with too much distraction or focus switching. There is such a thing as information overload and devices are by their nature designed to have you overdose on them. They're very much like any other addiction. I won't be surprised to see 12-step programs for people who are digitally addicted. In fact, there are already many groups and organizations online who treat people for digital distraction. Dr. Greg Jantz runs a place of hope which provides treatment programs for digital distraction. He says that, quote, over time you become addicted to the sensation that only the input can provide. For a drug addict, it can be heroin. For a digital addict, it can be the perceived need to interact with their digital devices, gaming, texting, or chatting on their social networks, or surfing porn. Personal relationships suffer as you withdraw from normal and healthy engagement with friends and family. Professional relationships suffer as work is often degraded because of distraction from digital devices or fatigue from a lack of sleep while spending inordinate amounts of time online. Anyone who struggled with addiction of any kind or has people close to them who have will recognize the symptoms that Dr. Jantz is describing. Dr. Torkel Kleinberg Professor of Cognitive Neuroscience at the Karolinska Institute in Sweden states in his 2008 book, The Overflowing Brain, that, quote, attention is the portal through which the information flood reaches the brain, but that our brains lack boundless capacity to both pay attention and process attention, unquote. In other words, you can have too much of a good thing. And we need to be mindful that Gen Y and Gen Z are going to be more technologically inclined than older generations. That's just reality. If they don't master technology, they're going to be left behind. And they're the ones that need to hear my message the most, that while technology is real and important, there is such a concept as too much of a good thing. I wrote this book, Power of Connecting, to acknowledge what the future is going to look like. And I'm definitely not anti-technology, far from it. What I am saying is that technology can be overused to your detriment if you're not careful. In their groundbreaking book, The Focus Effect, Dr. Greg Wells and Canadian business legend Bruce Bowser, the man who grew AMJ Campbell Lines into the largest moving company in Canada. They study the impact of technology and productivity in human connection. Their thesis is simple. 
People today are more distracted than ever. And that is affecting our psychological and physical well-being. If you want to be a high performer and cut through the disruption, you need to construct new practices to encourage your focus, creativity, and effectiveness. And that means having digital free times during the day and digital free days during the week. Wells and Bowser are evangelists for replacing this digital time with time spent going within and time spent connecting with others. I'm friends with both these guys, and in numerous conversations with them, they've shared the rationale behind their thinking. Here's what they said. Smartphones debuted only 13 years ago, but their impact has been immense. With up-to-the-minute updates on social media, email, and text, people are more distracted than ever. Does this sound like you? It sure as heck has sounded like me. You know, it's affecting our species' psychological and physical well-being. Digital distraction has taken the place of reading, exercising, and spending time with people. You need to be aware of this. You need to make sure that you have a commitment to hold these distractions at bay. Personal development icon Louise Hay said that to create transformational change, the formula was be, do, have, in that order. To be a successful person, you first need to adopt a way of being that supports that, like being focused and then take action, and that would result in you being successful. Most people say, I'll be happy, successful, etc. when I have the time, help, etc. That's exactly backwards. You first need to be happy and focused, then you'll take the right action, which will result in the goals you want. Wells and Bowser have a great list of strategies you can adopt, but I strongly believe they won't work if you don't first take on the right way of being. It's like the difference between pouring water in a flimsy paper cup with holes in it and a solid silver goblet. The water will destroy the former, but it will be held by the latter. You can choose any way of being you like. But I say being connected and loving is a great way of being to support you in this regard. Once you take that on, it's a natural thing to commit to perfect the art of what Bowser and Wells call unplugging from technology and plug it into reality. I love that. Unplugging from technology and plug it into reality. It's really good. I strongly encourage you to take on some daily disciplines for doing this, such as 10 to 20 minutes of meditation a day, 10 to 20 minutes of Wim Hof breathing techniques, 30 to 120 minutes of vigorous exercise, reserving two tech-free hours, journaling, gratitude, goals, wins, and your daily profile and courage. Call, meet, and speak to five people a day. This digital detox will help you feel better and connect more effectively to people. That will enhance your life and make your business flourish. 98 and three-quarter percent guaranteed. And that's a quote from Dr. Seuss's book, Go the Places You'll Go, which you should buy if you haven't already. All right, that wraps up today's amazing episode of the Thought Leader Nuggets, Thought Leader Nugget number 49, how we got here to where we're at. If you enjoyed this, share it with somebody who needs to hear the message. Don't be stingy, be generous, be flowing, be giving. Share, 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 share. And if you really, 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 really need help, call me. A way to do it is to go onto my website, EasterColeCammy.com. There's a button that says Book a Success Call. Click on it. Fill out the form. And say, I've been listening to your podcast and I need help and I'll make time for you. I promise you. God bless you. God love you. Remember, we stand here for you, for freedom, for free expression and free enterprise. And we want to encourage you to do the same. Until next time, goodbye. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice.